Curated by Future Forum, this is part six of the 20 Minute City podcast. A little longer than 20 minutes, a conversation with some interesting people at the intersection between their sense of well-being and the city we live in. Welcome to season two. I'm Dino Vrignos, Creative Director of Future Forum, Architect and Director of Dust Studio. Over this eight-part series, we're going to introduce you to some inspiring young people charting a course forward here in South Australia and beyond. The movers and shakers, the innovators and disruptors, the elite performers and the unicorn makers. They will share their story, their trials, tribulations and triumphs. And we'll have a bit of fun on the way too. My name's Lauren Hillman and I'm the General Manager of Channel 44 Adelaide. Lauren's life has been shaped by serendipity. Whether working in the front bar in a British pub or passing a politician in a lobby, Lauren has time and again, when confronted by these sliding doors moments, invariably made the right choice at the right time. Bitten by the creative bug from a young age, Lauren wanted to be a storyteller, but over time learned that by transitioning behind the camera allowed her to provide a voice to many and carve her own career which ultimately led to Channel 44 and community television. An incredible story about how you make your own luck. Lauren's advice is sage. Take the opportunities as you see them, have fun, and enjoy the moments. And with that, let's get started. Where we must, at the beginning. Our 20 minutes starts now. Tell us a little about yourself. Okay, great. I can remember always having the creative bug since I was very young. Um, I can remember doing plays at school and and I certainly, there was an element of, yes, I want to be an actor, but I think by the time you get to the point where you're completing year 12 and um, your parents are saying to you, is acting the smartest choice? Are you actually going to make money out of this? And I thought, well, look, I'm going to try uh, to, to go down that creative route and, and apply to get into Drama Centre. That's what I wanted to do at Flinders. And of course, I got through the audition process and, and I made it to like the final round and and singing is definitely not my strength. And so I bombed out. But there was certainly, I was going to do a Bachelor of Arts no matter what. I knew that that was something that I wanted to do. And at the time, Flinders was the university to do that. And so I I remember um, applying for a Bachelor of Arts and I wanted to do screen. And I thought, actually, I'm quite interested in telling this because I do have a natural ability to be able to tell stories. And then I left Adelaide to go overseas because that's what you did. You went to London and you, you know, you just backpacked around Europe for a couple of years. Um, so I was over there and one day I was serving this regular at the pub and he said to me, now Lauren, this isn't what you want to do. You don't want to be working in a pub. What is it that you really want to do? And I said, oh, well, you know, like I've actually, I've studied screen and drama at Flinders um, University in South Australia. And, you know, I'm thinking that I really do want to crack into the industry somehow, but, you know, I've got no real connections and now I'm traveling and, and he said, oh, I wish you'd said that to me ages ago. He said, I run a small production company for the BBC. And I was like, oh, wow. And he said, would you like to come out and be a runner? And I was like, oh, yes, I would love to. And he said, look, it doesn't pay very well, but, you know, I can I can definitely get you some casual work. I was like, oh, amazing. And so I asked the pub for a couple of weeks off and off I went. And I worked on this great history pilot um, for the BBC. And, and I was like, 
this is amazing that I'm like, you know, just 20 getting to work in this environment um, with these professionals. And that really was a little kind of green light for me because I was like, right, I need to kind of crack into the industry when I come back to Adelaide. Everyone had said, right, no, you're going to have to go to the East Coast. And I knew that that was a possibility. But, you know, I was a very Adelaide home-based girl. I, I love living in Adelaide. And I've, you know, I'm proud to say I have lived here my whole entire life and, and managed to forge a career. But and when I first came back, again, you're like, well, I've got no money, no job. How am I going to get into the industry? And then I remember there was an audition for a reality show. Now, remember, this is 20 years ago. So this is first reality shows when they were really big and exciting. Uh, and it was called My Restaurant Rules. And so I got to know the production crew really well. And um, one of the the main producers, who's actually still one of my closest friends today, she saw something in me and through our friendship, she had said a similar thing. You don't really want to be on camera, do you? You know, you're, you know, I can tell that you're more interested in behind the scenes and the storytelling and the editing. And so she actually hooked me up with some amazing local gigs and it was with Gus Warland, yes. And so that production company was Seed, which was... Hugh Jackman's production company. They were really impressed with the work that I did here. They wanted to travel me all around the country to keep working on the series. But I just was like, no, I feel like the opportunities are still going to be in Adelaide. So Emily, which is my good friend that I was telling you about, she had rung me and she said, hey, I'm coming back to Adelaide for a job at the ABC. Now they need a full-time production coordinator on a show called Talking Heads. Um, I think you'd be perfect for it. You should apply. Um, and I was like, that's it. That is my dream job. Working at the ABC would be my dream. And so I applied and I didn't hear a thing. Apparently, the executive producer threw my CV in the bin because I hadn't had enough experience in TV. So she, thank goodness, she said, just meet Lauren for a coffee. And that one moment um, in this very place that we're sitting at now, but down the other end of this floor... Um, was the moment where I came in for an interview um, and I was successful and I got the job. But while I was in that role, I worked my way up. So I, I knew that I wanted to produce and direct and so I just took the opportunities where they came. Then in 2014, there was like whispers of, no, there's going to be production cuts and slowly each internal production team was getting made redundant. So I thought, right, if I'm ever going to get an idea up internally, my own idea, I need to pitch it now because this job could be gone in, you know, 12, 18 months. So I pitched an Obdoc style series for iView. And after a lot of back and forth and a lot of <laughs> a lot of meetings, it actually it, it they they signed off on it. So it was called The Daters. It was the first show ever to be made for iView. And I said to the ABC, this will be the cheapest show that we make on the ABC this year because 80% of the show will be shot. This is how much technology's been dated on iPhone 5. And they said, okay. And they, they signed off on it and it was great. Still on iView today. And then at the end of 2014, we found out that Adelaide whole TV production unit was being shut down. So at the end of 2014, I, I, I found myself out of work. And, and you know, in Adelaide, when you're sort of mid-career, you've just had this high point creating your own series. Um, I, was, I was like, well, you know, what am I going to do now? So I got to know a lot of people in Adelaide in the industry. And so I got, I got two job offers. I got offered one in Sydney and one in Adelaide. The one in Sydney 
was I got offered the senior producer on Play School, which would have been my absolute dream job. But the one in Adelaide that I got got offered a few days later was the series producer on the biggest Easter appeal that Channel 9 had seen in 30 years. The Sydney opportunity at Play School said to me, you need to move. And I think if it had been five years earlier, I might have taken that opportunity. But instead, you know, the Channel 9 opportunity came along and that was a shorter contract. It was only four months. So obviously I chose the Channel 9 position. And I mean, that was, you know, a baptism of a fire of of an opportunity, like six hours of live TV. Now I hadn't produced any live TV. So to be able to come into that was quite amazing. And really we raised, I think in the end, we raised $2.2 million for the Women's and Children's Hospital Foundation. Yeah, so that contract finished and I was doing a bit of freelance work, um, just getting some small jobs. And then um, I got a phone call from Community Television. Now, Community TV had not been on my radar. In fact, Community TV, to what well, my first impressions of community TV were, I can remember uni days when it was Channel 31 and it was a really bad snowy reception and a couple of my friends had asked me to work on a production and I was like, oh, no, I'm not working on that. <laughs> I can remember. That was what I thought community TV was. And it was interesting because they'd said Channel 44 and I didn't even know that Channel 44 existed because was just channel 31 to me um anyway so I came in for the interview um and now it was just for a job just a just a job and I, I said what my rate was and and um the job was she said yep you know okay great so I produced um a, quite a nice story actually and and then I went away and I thought oh, that that was all I thought of it and then I got a call a callback saying, actually, we were really impressed with your work and um, I'm thinking about moving on and would you like to be the general manager? And I was like, what? Is this job being advertised? (laughs) That is literally how I got the job. And so I came back in and I said to the office that they were currently located, for anyone who remembers, it was on Paynham Road, above the fossil shop, opposite the Maiden Magpie. And I just thought, look, if it's got any chance of surviving and I actually do this job... It can't stay here. We can't say we're above the fossil shop. So I contacted the ABC and I never thought that they would go for it. I said to them, look, what would be the chance of me leasing space as an independent tenant? You know, how how would that work? Next minute, I'm like coming in for a tour and, you know, and then like actual real world costs are being discussed. And I was like, I think it's going to happen. And then a year to the day that I was made redundant from the ABC, I moved Channel 44 back into the ABC. So that was something, that was one of those sliding door moments as well that I knew that, okay, I'm really glad I didn't accept the play school job. I thought, okay, this is, this is, I'm in the right place. And now that I'm back in this building, I really need to make this work. What I didn't know, if someone said to me, you literally will be, (laughs) you'll be fighting the federal government. I wouldn't have believed them. So the government in 2014, so Malcolm Turnbull was the communications minister and he said in 2014, the spectrum that community TV occupies federally, I'm going to take that spectrum and I'm going to sell it for new technologies. Now, we didn't realise that that would result in a, you know, an almost seven-year campaign to save the licence We didn't know that six months or one year or whatever it would be um, would turn into the fight that it actually has. So through that period, not only was I starting a new role, I 
trying to engage new staff, new volunteers, get partners and sponsors on board and also connect myself to politicians. I'm Um, assuming you started a family amongst all that as well. And I started a family. I had two children during that period. I was pulling some incredibly long hours. Like I was here, you know, most nights till 10 o'clock just just whittling away because I knew like we had to keep the station going. I had to try and find the funding and we changed the programming. There were some programs that I was like, no, sorry, that has to go. And we actually started to encourage some new local program makers to come on board. We connected them with grant funding bodies so they were actually able to get funding to produce their content, which is great. And then we said, right, we can be involved in live events. I mean, having that experience producing the Big Easter Appeal for Channel 9, I knew, well, if I've produced six hours, I certainly could produce some big events that I knew that the commercial stations weren't covering. So the very last Fringe Parade was the first time it had ever been live streamed and that was by us. So, yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, by the, the channel actually taking on events like that started it actually got us noticed by other events and, you know, soon we found ourselves getting approached by those other big festivals, um, you know, whether it be your Dream Bigs or your guitar festivals or your cabaret festivals or, you know, those events to actually cover them in a way that we know the commercial stations wouldn't, which was excellent. But, yes, I can remember quite vividly the moment that I found out that I was pregnant. You know, we had six months to go on our licence again and there was many trips to Parliament House, heavily pregnant. But I think I have to credit my board and my team because I knew straight away that I needed a really good team because I've had two children in that time, but this is definitely my third baby. And I, I you know, and I, I'm still very passionate about, you know, making sure even more so now that it's, successful into the future now that we've got some longevity and I don't have to worry about you know constantly lobbying the federal government it's fantastic we're going to take a breather and we'll be right back with the rest of our chat with Lauren in all we do we strive for better Better processes, better relationships, better outcomes. We challenge convention and refuse to accept the way it is as the way it should be. We are generous with our time and with each other because we believe that giving is better than taking. And what do we do? Well, we are makers. Makers of spaces. Makers of solutions. Makers of joy. Making a difference to make every day better. At Dust Studio, we make better. So we've heard Lauren's story. Now we're going to dive a bit deeper into these sliding door moments that shaped her life and owning her path. So you've talked through a lot of the the different types of elements that go into making a story as widespread as yours, but... You've also been quite strategic in some of the decisions you made. And I wonder whether or not it's a it's a maybe an evolution of that risk appetite and courage that then becomes that kind of yeah, it morphs into knowing how to put yourself in the right situation at the right time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was certain certainly an element of of being strategic in moving Channel 44 into this building, into the ABC building. You know, when I moved back in, I thought 
I know that the opportunities will flow from being back in this building. Not only um, am I connected to, you know, ABC Radio and, and its beloved presenters, but also I knew that the big studio here had been decommissioned after our TV production unit had been made redundant. Yeah, I, I did see an opportunity in that because I thought, well, no one's using that studio and no one's using this space. Like, it should be used. And, yeah, I, the opportunities that have flowed from that have been quite remarkable really. I mean, you know, within like, you know, a few months we had um, – we'd commissioned the the TV channel, um, a local kids program called Sea Star Rock. And so we were the first to produce a kids TV show – in the ABC studios in like decades um, as an independent, not as a as an internal ABC TV production team, um, which just opened up the opportunities. So, and I feel like, you know, there's even times when I knew that I was going to have to, initially when I knew I'd have to lobby government um, and local politicians, I didn't know that I was going to be having to um, approach and talk to politicians directly. And you don't think you personally are going to be doing that. As any anyone knows, getting in front of them and, and emailing, firing off a cold email to their advisors is really difficult because you, you know, you wait for weeks to get an answer. So if you've heard a politician on the radio and you're coming into that building and they've finished their interview and they're in the foyer well, why wouldn't I take the opportunity to say, oh, hi, I just heard you on the radio. But also, you know, I would love to come and chat to you about a really important issue in community TV and all the reasons why you should help me. <laughs> no, it, it's interesting. I don't, I don't think the, the, the struggles of trying to be a producer and uh, sort of uh, only in Adelaide, but I think there's a certainly a, another layer of complexity to doing it in a place like Adelaide. But do you see that as actually being part of what's empowered you moving forward? Absolutely. I mean, when you're around um, bigger production companies, you're already connected to those jobs and got future jobs lined up because they're just there, especially on the East Coast. Um, yes, there's an element of it being a lot easier. Whereas in Adelaide, you know, the productions up until fairly recently, because there's been a bit of a shift in the industry, but the productions just haven't been there. So you you really do have to make your own opportunities in Adelaide. And so I saw the opportunity in Channel 44 to do that because I think there's always been an element with community broadcasting, not just television, I think radio as well. People think community broadcasting and they think less than. But it doesn't have to be perceived as that because, you know, there's nothing to say that we can't be producing an event that could be as equally um, professional as as a commercial broadcaster because we've got the experience. And I think I knew that coming into this role because I'd seen the previous general managers did not have experience in television and I, I knew that I could bring my experience to that role in Adelaide, um, you know, it's true, I might not have got this job in another state because there would have been someone that would have been more experienced than me in another state. With the big push that we've had lately around the creative industries, and particularly mm. in film in South Australia, it's it's quite exciting to see that grow. So do you feel confident that that's going to assist you guys with what you're doing? Absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the things I knew I had to do from minute one was actually sign on formal partners in universities because I knew if we had that formal partnership with the universities and that was creating a pathway to industry, 
I knew that would take us one step above what the other stations were doing. Now, Channel 31 in Melbourne already have that relationship with RMIT. And I looked at that model, what they were already doing, and thought, I need to be doing that. Now, we were already broadcasting two shows from UniSA's McGill Studios that had been running for years. And I was like, why isn't this formalised? And that that was really hard to actually initially approach the universities and put forward a real proposal to them. But I managed to sign on both UniSA School of Creative and same with Flinders as well. And then recently a partnership with the SAFC's um, First Nations Screen Strategy. Those pathways have cemented us as a key part of the industry. So I think, you know, it's really important right now that community TV, especially in Adelaide and Melbourne, we're the only two states left. We've we've now got an advantage in South Australia over Perth and the other states that no longer have community TV to say that we're actually providing skills, opportunities and training for those interns that the other states aren't. And I think we evolve by, because, you know, we're not going to have those advertising dollars on our platforms. We're not going to have the eyeballs. We get that. We're not a commercial station. But what we can do that the commercial stations don't have the resources to do anymore is train. Obviously, a lot of stress, a lot of workload, a lot of moving parts to your life. How have you survived? Okay, the only way I've survived, I have to 100% credit my partner, Craig Egan, who also has his own business. He runs Adelaide Comedy and he's done that for 20 years. He's definitely taken the fair share of the parenting load. And so without him, there's no way I would have been able to come back on this level, campaign, lobby, do the hours that I do. Without him, I wouldn't have been able to do it. And the grandparents, I wouldn't have been able to do it without them. Whereabouts was the pub in London? The pub was in a small village outside of Oxford called Stanton St. John. And the most famous person that I served at that pub was Sir Richard Branson. And I was so excited to be able to serve him for lunch. I lost my mind when he came in and I had to be really calm and cool and collected around serving his family. And then years on, who would have known that we'd be interviewing for Talking Talking Heads? heads, And I didn't get to actually go to that interview. But I gave him my book and I put a note inside the book and I said, "Um, I once served you at a pub in England. Could you please sign this book for me? And he remembered me. I told the producer the story and he remembered me and he signed it. And so I've got that book. You have clearly, over your career, created the opportunities yourself by just putting yourself out there. Yeah, But it, it, it takes a certain amount of, you know, courage and gumption to, to talk to Richard Branson in that way and then have the, <laughs> do you remember me? <laughs> yeah, well, it was only in a post-it note. But I wanted that moment again with him. Like I knew, I, I when I knew that we were interviewing him, I was like, I want to go meet Sir Richard Branson again. You're in your pub just outside Oxford? Yes. 20-year-old you serving a pint. Yep. And you, current version... Roll in. What do you say to your 20-year-old self? Oh, God. Um, What would I say to my 20-year-old self? I would say don't be afraid because there's going to be times that you're going to feel alone and afraid. And I think in – especially in the past seven years, I would have said to myself, like, that's going to be your hardest period for sure. Um, But the earlier periods I would have said – have just have fun and enjoy it. There were times that I was quite stressed out about things and, and um, you know, but I, I still feel like that I did take the opportunities where I saw them 
And I, I listen to people and I would say, you know, make sure you listen more and connect more. And, you know, when people say the word networking, people think it's um, people standing around at a high-level function, kind of all getting drunk and just talking to the most important people in the room. Really, the true meaning of networking is really connecting with someone and believing in what they're saying and actually sharing ideas. That's networking. I networked with that guy across the bar. So I would say to myself, because I do think I've networked well, but I would say network better. You know, you might have reached your path before in some other way. Um, But I think when I look back, I think I'm exactly where I was supposed to be. And I'm proud that that's in Adelaide. Nice advice. So last question. So what's your big idea? Well, my big idea, like I said at the start, where I would like to see community TV grow would be to that online space where it had its own platform, its own streaming platform, um, and it was the home for community TV nationally. It's called CTV Plus, but it's only in its infancy. So in my time, the big idea that I want to see will be that platform grow into something that producers all and content makers all across the country are putting forward to be part of that platform and I know alongside the team in Melbourne that would be a legacy for me to be able to leave community TV in a place where on a national scale producers all across the country are wanting to be involved. So on that, thank you. Ah, thank you for having me. What a pleasure. Thanks to Lauren for sharing her story and taking us through her city. If you'd like to find out more about Lauren, and the organisation that she leads, you can do that at c44.com.au. That's the letter c44.com.au. 20 Minute City is a podcast series created by Future Forum in collaboration with Das Studio and City Mag. If 20 minutes isn't enough, head to future-forum.com.au for more from the people who make Adelaide better. In our next instalment, we chat with Paul Baker, founder of Chefs on Wheels. You know, you really had to fight hard for your job and to get a job and to keep your job. So, um, you know, those threats of, you know, I'm going to fire you were true. They were going to fire you if you didn't do a great job because there was 10 people lined up at the door ready to take that spot. The competitive nature of restaurants at the time was, you know, you really had to, you know, knuckle down and, you know, really learn your craft and hold down that spot or someone was going to come in and take it. just like that, our time is up. 20 Minute City has been produced on Ghana Country.